Welcome to Talking with Intention, a Christian podcast about self-betterment through meaningful conversation. I'm Michael Collins. My co-host is Walter Somerville, and in every episode, we sit down to talk about something that we find meaningful or something that we're still trying to figure out. We're not experts. We just believe that life is better when we're intentional about it. I hope you love the show. So he opens things up, this chapter, um, with the with the famous, and I don't know about famous, but often used atheist argument that God cannot be all good and all powerful, mm, right? Right. They say they say he, well with evil in the world because there's evil, evil in the world, in the world with, he can't be a hundred percent good and a hundred percent powerful. Exactly. They say either because either he is not good and he allows this evil to exist mm-hmm. or he cannot do anything about it and therefore he is all powerful right right and the way lewis puts it um is starting off he says christians then believe that an evil power has made himself for the present the prince of this world and of course that raises problems is this state of affairs in accordance with god's will or not if it is he is a strange god you will say and if it is not, how then, how can anything happen contrary to the will of a being with absolute power? Yeah, and his explanation for this, or you know, yeah, trying to come to terms with the evil that we do see in the world, with what Christians believe to be an all-powerful and completely good God is talking about free will. And I like the way he he brings it up. He talks about anybody on authority knows how a thing can be in accordance with your will in one way and not in another. And he talks about how like a mom might say, okay, to her kids, um, I'm not going to keep telling you to clean up your room. By the end of the day, your room needs to be cleaned, right? Um, She goes down, finishes the rest of her day, comes back up, and the room is a mess, right? And so it was her will for it to be cleaned up, absolutely. But she gave her kids the free will to carry it out, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's kind of the situation that we are in, yeah. right? God has given us instructions. He's given us the the right way of living our life, mm. right? He's yeah. given us the pathway toward good. And we don't will. Yeah, he showed us his will. Yeah, he showed us his his will. His will was originally the garden. Right. Right. Mm. There was no evil. Yeah. There was no sin. There was no death. Or was there no death? There was no death. Nothing to separate us from God either. No. Yeah. There was no separation Mm. at all. It was just it was the paradise that he wanted to have with us. But he gave us free will, and so that it was that initial fall from grace that initial sin that brought evil into the world and that's why and that's why so much evil happens yeah and it's a it's a strange thing you're like and i i myself feel the same way when i think about this it raises like a really weird question like okay what's all the hype around free will why was free will worth it so to say um for the even the chance for evil to come into the world, right? Because when God created man, He created them with free will mm-hmm. from the get go. Yeah, and so, so why would He give it the possibility the of going world? so wrong? Right? Yeah, Lewis has an answer right here in chapter 
in page 48, um, in my copy at least, says, because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having, right? And the point he's getting at is, if we were all robots, and, you know, like we can program our, our an AI, or I guess it wouldn't be an AI if we're programming it, but we can, you can get Siri to tell you whatever you want. You can go onto your computer, type out a sentence to tell it, make it say, wow, Walter, you look really handsome today, right? But that compliment would not mean anything because you forced it to say that, yeah. right? The good is lost. It's yeah. me, it becomes completely meaningless. It doesn't have much value. Exactly. Doesn't mean, yeah, doesn't so mean much to me. The gift of free will is what makes the relationship worth it, mm. right? What makes it a relationship. Yeah. What makes the love and the praise that we can give God yeah. worth anything. Yeah, because otherwise, there's nothing other than just self, right? Um, if we if we tell a computer to tell us we look nice, right? Okay, that's just us. There was really no need for the computer, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, this isn't something loose. Just touches you talking on, but, to yourself. But I wonder if there was would be any reason for God to have a world without something with with free will in it, right? In the same way that I don't need a computer for me to tell myself I look amazing, right? Yeah, it would, yeah, it'd be, <laughs> just be sitting there talking to yourself. Yeah, You know, exactly. you know there's no point in, in putting any effort into creating anything to tell you that you're, you know, to tell you that it loves you. Yeah, it, it doesn't mean anything yeah, it, because it, it's really just me. did that, you'd think they were a crazy person, right? <laughs> yeah. It's only, you know, we, I feel like that's been in some sci-fi shows and or comic books or something somewhere. I feel like I've seen a story where somebody builds themselves a robot girlfriend, yeah. right? Cause, and yeah. it's just like the relationship is so empty. It's only, the relationship is only real in their delusion, right? Man, there's a famous book and or movie where there's like a town and all the wives and ladies are robots. The Stepford Wives. Is that what it is? That's it. I, yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I remember I saw that when I was a teenager, I think. It's a young movie teenager. I, I saw it as a movie. Definitely I a movie never at read least. the, yeah, it might be a book. I don't know. But yeah, yeah they, it, it got really dark at the end. It's like a comedy. And yeah. then at the end, I don't know. I think huh. they all like, they like killed their real wives and replaced them with robots or wow. something. I just remember at, when I was a kid, at the end, it got kind of freaky for yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit too much. But, uh, but yeah, it's just like yeah, the relationship. The It, it wasn't nothing. a relationship. It wasn't a relationship. No, right. it was just them. Yeah. So that's part of the value of why free will was maybe worth it was, first of all, that seems to be one of God's huge attributes is that he's a relational God, which is fantastic for us. And we'll get into more of that as we go on, I think. But he couldn't have a relationship with something without free will, right? That's not a relationship. And, you know, this is what I've always took, this is what I've always taken the Bible to mean when it talks about how we were created in the image of God, right? To me that, I mean, I don't know, I guess when, you know, when Jesus came down as a man, we looked like him but I, I never took that to mean more like we looked like god as much as we had free will right we had the ability to to really love and to choose 
to have a relationship with him. That's what it's the whole, I mean, that's what the whole Bible is about, right? Yeah. It's having a relationship with God. Right. And he goes on to, to talk about just kind of mentioning potential of something. He says, yeah. starts out with, uh, what's his first example here? Um, a cow. It says a cow can't be very good or very bad, right? It doesn't have very much potential in that way. Um, a dog could be both better and worse. It, it has, it, it's got more potential for good and evil, right? A child, even more so. It could be, you could have an amazing child. You could also have a really messed up, terrible child. And on and on until, you know, man with free will mm -hmm. has incredible potential yeah. um, for good. And also with that comes potential for bad. And that's yeah. what free will. Mm -hmm. is uh, before i want to back up just a little bit yeah um because i've got a little note here in my book um where lewis says of course god knew what would happen if they used their freedom the wrong way apparently he thought it worth the risk perhaps we feel inclined to disagree with him right and so there's it made me think of this anti-natalist philosophy that i've heard about where people believe that life it, it that it's better if you never existed oh yeah right not hmm. saying that they don't believe that you should commit suicide but you would be better off having never been born yeah right life life is better than in existence no, no life is in, worse than in yeah existence. in existence is better than life right um and lewis points out that you cannot hold this view if you believe in God or if you believe that you were created in any way, because he says, but there is a difficulty about disagreeing with God. He is the source from which all your reasoning power comes. You could not be right and he wrong any more than a stream can rise higher than its own source. When you are arguing against him, you are arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. It is like cutting off the branch you are sitting on, right? So, if you believe that God exists, really, is the only way that you would be willing to accept this argument at all. But you you can't disagree with the person who gives you the ability to disagree with things, right? He gives you the ability to think and reason at all. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, your own ability to understand and your own logic, even your own concepts of right and wrong are all from him and so if you think that using that little bit of logic and reasoning that you've got you've figured out how god is wrong right mm -hmm. well god gave you that reasoning power he's yeah. infinitely more and to me it goes it makes me think back to the the good and evil thing right that god cannot be all good and all powerful and usually that argument's put forth by people who don't believe in god at all so i don't know that this argument would seem very strong to them but you know, if God is real and he is the source of all goodness, right? He is pure good, purely good, 100% good. Then any time that we think that God has done something evil, then it's not, the fault isn't with God. It's with our understanding of good and evil, right? He sees the whole picture. He understands everything. We don't. So if we were ever to, for some reason, think that God had done something evil, we can rest assured that he hasn't. It's an, it, it, the problem is with our view or our reasoning or whatever it may be. Right. 
that's a huge part of faith, I think, is just yeah. realizing that we don't have the same viewpoint, understanding, omniscience as God has. And so just having faith that he's working all things for good, like he promises he is. Exactly. Anyway, you were mentioning the potential. Yeah, one of, which, of the things he's working for good is free will, apparently, yeah. even though it's brought evil and sin and corruption, pain, all of it into the world. Mm -hmm. Somehow, whether we can see it or not, uh, he's using it for good. And it's kind of kind of hard to deal with. Yeah. Um, but that quote about the potential made me think of a Jordan B. Peterson quote um, where he says, you should be a monster and know how to control it. Right. So he means what he's getting at in this, I think, um, go, you know, Jordan Peterson and C.S. Lewis kind of, kind of getting at the same point here, or at least they're connected. Um, which is that, you know, you cannot be brave or, let me see, somebody who doesn't commit crime like somebody who doesn't rob a store because they're afraid of going, getting caught and going to jail yeah. is not that that it, that doesn't make them a good person if they're doing it if they're not doing the evil thing out of fear right somebody who doesn't rob a store or do something evil because they believe it's wrong not necessarily but they're not afraid of going to jail right then it's their it's their own will Maybe it is good, uh, still a good man who uh, doesn't commit a crime because of the consequences of it. I don't know. That still seems kind of good to me. You think? Well, I mean, if that's the only it's, reason. It's right action. If it's like, okay, if it means that if they had the opportunity where they were sure they would not get caught, they would mm. do the evil thing. Uh -oh. I mean, they have no integrity. Yeah. Right? Right. Okay, this is a better example. So... If, if a man is getting bullied or if somebody is getting bullied, right, and they don't stand up to the bully because they're afraid, right, they just let the bully come in and do whatever they want and just hope that they'll leave, right, that's, we'd call that cowardice. But a man, or self-preserving, but a man who doesn't stand up to a bully and lets the bully come in and do whatever he wants, um, maybe not whatever he wants, but lets him get away with it to a certain degree. But does it because he wants to turn the other cheek and show love to this person, right? And try to be kind to them, even though they are being mean to him. Love your enemies, right? The person who loves their enemy because they love their enemy is showing is brave and it has more strength right i would argue that it takes more strength to turn the other cheek and be loving to your enemies than it does to respond to hatred with hatred but the man who does not respond at all to the hatred just shies away from it out of cowardice right there's no virtue in that the virtue comes when you have the ability to fight back mm. and you choose not to so the same action or uh yeah, the same action, depending on its background, can be different. I'm struggling with words here. The same action, depending on the in, uh, intention behind it or the will behind it. 
right, can be virtuous or non-virtuous. Yeah. And in the context of what we're talking about, our reciprocating of God's love, loving God back the way he loves us um, is more meaningful if we are at the same time choosing not to be evil and be self-centered, right? If we were automaton, right, and just programmed in, we'd still be loving God, right? But not at the same time choosing or not at the same time putting off evil and deciding not to put ourselves first, right? It makes me think of like why if I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, I don't really talk a whole lot about hell because I don't want somebody to accept Christ just because they're afraid of going to hell because that relationship isn't going to be, I think that you could absolutely grow and have a meaningful relationship with God if that was how it would began, but it's so much better if you accept Christ and have a relationship with him because you want to be with him instead of because you're afraid of what will happen to you if you don't. Right. Are you choosing God or are you choosing not hell? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> huh. And I, I do feel like there's something to this of, you know, like I was saying, when we choose to love God, if we were programmed to do that, okay, it's just loving God. Maybe it's not even a choice. Mm-hmm. But having the free will that we do, when we choose to love God, we're not only choosing to love God, we're also choosing to avoid sin and choosing to not put ourselves forward. There's so much more meaning behind that decision and now behind the love that we show, right? That's why it's worth it, I think, in part to have free will, right? Maybe that's a part of why God thought it was worth having free will in the world, even though we also have the potential to choose the evil and bring corruptions in pain, car wrecks, all of it came into the world. The next section he talks about how, because in the Genesis story, we see man, right? We see God's will for the world, which was Eden, like you had been mentioning, Michael. Mm -hmm. And so perfect communion between man and God. And then we see what Lewis is calling the dark power here comes in and tempts man and corruption because man's choice enters the world but okay what's the deal with that where did the dark power come from where did he first go wrong yeah and that's what lewis says lewis writes here on page 49 how did the dark power go wrong here no doubt we ask a question to which human beings cannot give an answer with any certainty a reasonable and traditional guess based on our own experiences of going wrong, can, however, be offered. The moment you have a self at all, there is a possibility of putting yourself first, Mm. wanting to be the center, wanting to be God, in fact. That was the sin of Satan, and that was the sin he taught the human race. Mm. Put ourselves first. Put ourselves first. The pride, right? Pride is the root of every other sin. It's thinking that you are no best, thinking that you deserve to do whatever you want, thinking that you, thinking about yourself instead of God and other people. You know, putting yourself first is also putting, it's putting yourself higher than God. And I think the reason it's so destructive is, first of all, it's a 
fundamental lie, right? In the same way that our reason can't be higher than the God that gave it to us, our importance can't be higher than the God that gave it to us, you know? So first of all, it's a lie. And so I think that's something Jordan Peterson talks about as well. Trying to live out a life based on a lie, like just to smack in the face of reality, your life is going to get messed up. There's going to be some bumps in the road along the way. Lies always have consequences. Yeah. And the other part is what Lewis goes on to talk about here is it's like we were, he talks about it like a car was made to run on gas, right? And if you put anything else in there, it's going to go poorly, right? You put, I remember my cousin one time put diesel in a gas lawnmower and it started up and then it went terribly right the same kind of thing is happening when we try to live out our lives as if we are the most important thing we're running on the wrong juice our own importance and our own meaning is the wrong juice we were built to run towards god right Mm -hmm. we were built to we were built to glorify god mm, yeah we were made to worship and that's the thing people are made to worship and everyone worships something even if they're not aware of it right some of us worship god some of us worship ourselves our girlfriend our boyfriend our money yeah anything you have to put something first you have to put something first whatever is your top priority that's Mm -hmm. what you worship yeah right something's your top priority even if you didn't know it Mm -hmm. something is you have to find out what it is and he says all of human history, right? The wars, everything. It's just the story of humans setting themselves up for failure because they're running on the wrong thing, right? We try to come up with great government systems, right? Great new plans, strategies, medicines, all of it. And at some point, something goes a bit wrong because we're running on the wrong juice here. Lewis says, again, on page 49, What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. That makes me think of Friedrich Nietzsche, um, in his book beyond good and evil he writes about this this superman so where he declares that god is dead right and he what the point he's trying to make is that he believes man mankind has moved past the need for god and that these supermen will arise people who are able to give themselves value because even though nietzsche was a firm atheist, right? He realized that without God, we would descend into nihilism. That was the only route. And so his answer to that was that we would eventually, some people would be able to create their own value. They would be able to find their own purpose apart from God. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting because he, he was a genius, but he was also wrong. She's accurately describing, you know, what we're talking about here, which is men trying to find meaning in themselves, trying to set themselves up as the highest good. I've underlined this line here on page 50 that says, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. 
there is no such thing, right? God, we were created to worship God. We were created to have a relationship with him. That's because, and God wants us to do that. He is constantly telling us, this is what you need to do, right? Not because he's selfish and saying, this is, you need to give me all the attention, right? Just like we think of it as from a human perspective, I guess, I guess he is saying, you need to give me all the attention. But because he deserves it 100%. Yeah. And because that is where goodness comes from right? That is what will make us happy. God never tells us to do anything because he needs us to do it. He tells us to do things because he knows that that is good for us. And that is what will give us happiness and joy and a meaningful life. Yeah. And I think sometimes we find like people are kind of silly and are trying to find peace and happiness, right? In their own things. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure I've done it myself, just praying for, you know, why don't I have happiness in my life? You know, I'm doing all these things, right? And God's sitting here going, I've got my hands tied here. You're looking for happiness in the wrong places. I can't give you happiness as you're pursuing yourself, your own pride, your own glory, right? It's not there. There is no happiness there. There's no happiness apart from God. Or joy. Or joy, right. All human history is kind of the story of things running aground as humans try to set up their own plans and schemes for worshiping something other than God, right? And says, okay, so what did God do with all this? Well, says number one, he left us a conscience, right? Kind of a moral compass to help guide us towards, anyway, the first thing God left us was conscience, um, a moral compass to kind of point us in the right direction for finding who is worthy of our worship right himself yeah and that's what we've been talking about for the most of the book so far is this moral compass and the he called talking about the the law of human nature right right we have this desire to do good Mm. and we know what good is Mm -hmm. anyway he also says he sent us what he calls good dreams right which are these Um, ancient stories and myths of some kind of God who comes down and sacrifices himself for humanity um, to kind of reconcile God and humanity. Um, It shows up all over the place. And so that's the other, another thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, where's that at? Where are you? The bottom of page 50 here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And you know, that's one thing I've heard atheists talk about to discredit human, uh, discredit, not humanity, Christianity, um, talk about how similar it can be to other stories of the God coming and dying and resurrecting, right? Um, and it's funny, the stuff that you can look at it from one side or the other, right? You can look at it as, okay, well, this must be evidence that it's not real, or Lewis sees it as this is evidence that it is real. Something it's real happened historically real that lots happened. of people remembered. Yeah. He says the third thing that God left or did for humanity in this kind of self-sabotaging state is he selected one particular people and spent several centuries hammering into their heads the sort of God he was. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is that there's one of him. That's, he's one. Um, he cares about right and wrong and wants us to you know behave rightly 
Um, and so that's the Jews we're talking about. In the Old Testament, we see their story. It says, then comes the big shock. Then comes the real shock. Among these Jews, there suddenly turns up a man who goes about talking as if he was God. Right? And so a Jew shows up, he says, I'm God. I have, and you know, he supports his statement with saying that he's got the power to forgive sins. He does miracles. And so he's leading up into his the famous argument that you mentioned at the beginning of our yes segment here yeah um this jesus man is walking around saying he forgives sins he has always existed and he's going to judge the world right and the pharisees did not like that um and the craziest part about it all was this this fact that he says he can forgive sins right jesus says there's the story of the um the is it a blind man or a beggar who like who couldn't walk i think it was maybe i mean by a beggar either way but um i remember the story where the pharisees come to jesus and he tells that they see him tell this man i'm afraid i'm gonna get it wrong i'm probably getting some details wrong but that's okay i feel like i'm got get the the main point across right jesus tells this man he forgives him of his sin he says your sins are forgiven and the pharisees are outraged and they're upset and jesus says okay well what is easier to tell a man that your sins are forgiven or to tell him to that to get up and walk right if it was uh he, he either heals his side i think it was he could the man couldn't walk he'd been paralyzed his whole life right and jesus says pick up your cot and walk to show that he does have the power to forgive sins. He can do what he says he's doing. And and another reason it was so, why this is so shocking is because the Jews were, um, it's a monotheism, right? There is one God. Yeah. It's not like uh, Hinduism where there are hundreds, if not thousands of gods, right? And it, And this one God is completely other than humanity. It's, he's completely above and unique, right? Um, there's some religions where somebody might say, oh, I am God or I am a part of God. And it wouldn't be nearly as shocking as a Jew saying that he is God, right? Yeah. Because to the to Jews, there's one God. And so what he's claiming is that he is 100% God, clearly. And that's part of why it was so shocking. Lewis talking about this says, talking about Jesus's claim to forgive sins. Lewis says, now, unless the speaker is God, this is really so preposterous as to be mm. comic. We can all understand how a man forgives offenses against himself. Yeah. You tread on my toes and I forgive you. You steal my money and I forgive you. But what should we make of a man himself unrobbed and untrodden on? who announces that he forgave you for treading on the other men's toes and stealing other men's money. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Right? It doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, you can't forgive an offense that wasn't committed mm -hmm. against you, right? Yeah, but that's what Jesus did. He told people their sins were forgiven, and he, Lewis says, and never waited to consult all the other people whom their sins had undoubtedly injured. 
he unhesitatingly behaved as if he were the party chiefly concerned, the person chiefly offended in all offenses. This makes sense only if he really was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin, right? It only God is, forgives us of our sins because when we sin, when we do wrong things, we not only hurt the pe person we're sinning against, right? But all the sins are against God because they are breaking his moral compass, his yeah. right and wrong, his sense of right and wrong that he gives us. Right, and our relationship with him, right? Yeah. Um, sin is turning away from, from God. And now we reach the famous argument, right? Um, I'll just read through. Lewis says, Yet even his enemies, when they read the Gospels, do not usually get the impression of silliness and conceit, still less do unprejudiced readers. Christ says he is humble and meek, and we believe him, not noticing that if he were merely a man, humility and meekness are the very last characteristics we could attribute to some of his sayings. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him which is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing that, you, that we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Right. So the fact that Jesus claims to be able to forgive sins, as only God could do, and the fact that he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. I'm the son of God, right? Um, the only response to that the state, only response, there's, three main, there's three solid responses to that, right? And says one, well, okay, this guy's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, there's probably hundreds of crazy people, thousands of crazy people throughout human history that have said they're God, I'm sure, right? So that's one option. Yeah. Another option is that he's, you know, Satan himself, a demon of hell, yeah. you know, seeking to gain, just derail God's plan for humanity, maybe. Or he is God. Yeah. And, you know, this argument, I feel like, seems very strong to Christians. Yeah. Um, but there, I, there is, I mean, it, it doesn't work if somebody doesn't already believe in the Bible, right? right? If you don't believe in that the what the bible says is true you know then you can just say okay well the you can pick and choose which parts you want to believe in then right and when the whole thing falls apart any argument based off what is said in the bible then becomes useless right but if you believe in the bible if you believe especially that it the bible as like a historical yeah. account of the if life you believe of Jesus, at the you very know, the least Testament. yeah if you at the very least believe that it is accurate historical document then you've only got three options on what jesus could be right and i did hear somebody once i brought this argument up in a debate and they mentioned well what if jesus was just wrong 
what if he just thought that he was God, but he was mistaken? And it's like, well, that falls into the lunatic Sounds category, a bit like right? Man. Yeah. So it's a pretty big thing to be wrong about. Yeah. If know? somebody thinks that they're God and they're not, then they're crazy. That's yeah. the madman argument. Yeah. I mean, so. the guy who thought he was a poached egg also was wrong. You yeah, know, but exactly. we call that a madman. Doesn't matter how much he believed it. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or option three, you can fall at his feet and worship him for God that he is, you know? And I think the reason this is such a strong argument and a powerful one is people who have read, you know, these accounts of Jesus's life recognize something in him that he does not come off as like a madman. And when, exactly like he says, when Jesus claims to be humble and servant-hearted, it makes sense from the stories that we see of him and from the accounts of his life, right? It really appears he lives the way he he lives out he what he's teaching. Puts his money with it where his mouth is, right. right? And so when he makes the claim that he is God, it is to be taken seriously for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, next time we have... The Perfect Penitent, which I haven't read yet, at least not since the first time I read this book. So, yeah. Have uh, you read it? Stay read tuned it. for that one. Yeah. I read this chapter and I cried for the first time in a long time reading wow. this chapter. It's All right. a powerful chapter. I don't so remember stay it. Tuned. I'm excited now. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So, stay tuned for okay. the next chapter. That was great.